0: Welcome to a Top 5 edition of Daytime Confidential, brought to you by DaytimeConfidential.com. On today's show, we're counting down the top 5 storylines we'll always remember. This may be good because in my old age, I'll be able to come back and listen to this episode and actually remember them once again. We hope you enjoy, so stay tuned. This is the fighting, amnesia, and dyslexia, and every type of memory-inducing... St- well, I guess dyslexia isn't memory, is it? Um, no. it it's basically the mm. amnesia fighting episode. Joining me today, we have Jamie. Welcome.
1: Hey, what's
0: up? And we have Tina. Welcome. Hello. And gen- our general hospital spoiler guru, Reagan. Welcome. Hello. Um, so we're counting down the top five storylines will always remember. Jamie, what comes in at number five for you?
1: Number five comes in probably the most second controversial storyline involving this character. It's not the one that's got people or that had people so stirred up a few months ago, but it involves uh, Michael Corinthos, and it was when they faked his death, when AJ came back and faked Michael's death to make... To steal him, basically, and to make Carly and Sonny think he was dead. I know a lot of AJ fans were appalled by how they felt the character was written into a corner. I thought it was brilliant because I thought it was a real Cain and Abel story. And I saw it from the time that I began watching GH pre-Gooza that AJ just always had this enmity you know between him and Jason and I thought it was really classic and Shakespearean. I don't think they should have killed AJ off, but the reason that it was my favorite storyline because I was really shocked that a soap would even go there, you know, with the pictures of Michael dead and everybody knows I haven't talked about her much because she's, you know, by the time I started this podcast she was off GH, but uh and and this is funny that I'm such a fan that I never pronounce her name right, but Tamra Braun is one of my all-time favorite daytime superstars. And the scenes where Carly broke down when she really accepted that Michael was dead was, to me, one of the best acting displays I'd ever seen on that show. So for her and for that storyline that I thought was pretty cool, I'm going to say number five for me was Michael's faked death. And I think Brian, I mean, Brian, um... Uh, Billy Warlock did some of his best acting. He really showed he could be I like menacing villain AJ over poor drunk me AJ any day. So I love that storyline. That's my number five. I would
0: love to have AJ come back. It would be great to have him back right now. The quartermains need a little bit of rebuilding. Tina, who do you have at number five?
2: My number five um, is from uh, One Life to Live and it's From the nineteen nineties, Billy uh, came on. He was someone new, a lot of people, you know, a new family, and he turned out to be gay. And he was one of the first, you know, gay teens fully portrayed as gay on, you know, daytime soaps. He was played by Ryan Phillippe, and it was just a great storyline. Um, and I just I remember various points uh, that he uh, you know had moments with Andrew uh, Reverend Andrew Carpenter and, and a few other people where he was coming to terms with being gay and it just seemed like it was very
0: realistic. Is that on YouTube? I know you're the YouTube queen. Can you still see those episodes on YouTube?
2: Well, it, it was a. Kind of a couple months storyline, but there's probably, I'm sure if I go rooting around, I can find some of the better moments. I can do that for you if you wish to watch.
0: Oh, well, you'll email me the links because I've always heard so much about this character and it's it's something that I'd like to check out at some point. Reagan, who do you have at number five or what storyline do you have at number five?
3: Okay, I went a um, little bit more current, because it's going to be one of the storylines that I always remember, and that's the Metro Court hostage crisis situation. I loved everything about it. I liked the way it was filmed, I loved the timing of it, how we got like an hour of it a day. Are you guys there? Yeah. Yes. Oh, God, it sounded like you so were there. I'm so happy to be on
1: with another GH enthusiast. <laughs>
3: Good, because my whole list is
2: GH. because <laughs> oh, just me is not enough?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: no, you're no, not I a like... gh enthusiast you're a fan but you
0: would oh, <laughs> be smackdown. surprised smackdown, smackdown. you would be surprised i think what he defines as enthusiast is reagan likes S- steve burton as um jason morgan and the mob jamie likes the mob there you go <laughs> that's <laughs> what enthusiast <laughs> is defined as no one who doesn't like the mob can be an enthusiast according to jamie and that's, that's right. one
3: reason why i love this storyline is because it gave us Sebastian Roche I I hate that they made him Jerry Jacks but he is just such a great actor and I love I love when he plays evil I really I I do (laughs) I absolutely love it and I just loved everything about the Metro Court storyline everything was great it was a great sweeps period it's definitely a storyline I am never gonna forget I hate that Alan died I do hate it I still – I'll never forget it. I love it. So that's my number five.
0: Nice. Well, Mike was supposed to be with us today, but he wasn't able to make it, so he, he texted me his picks. I'm not exactly sure how this works. <laughs> Anyone else on this podcast texting in and phoning in your responses does not cut it. He, one of his picks is the house explosion that killed Hillary Bauer. I have absolutely no clue what this is about. Does, Jamie, do you by chance –
1: um. No, I only I started watching Guiding Light in '93, and the only Bowers that were on were Ed and his kids, Rick and Michelle. I heard of the character Hillary Bower. I'm thinking she might have been. No, Hope was Hope. Is, Hope Bower was Alan Michael's mother, and Hope was Mike's daughter. I don't know this Hillary Bower. I I can't even. I don't think she was. Maybe she was Ed and bill's sister i'm sure our fans will let us know very quickly but no i'm i the the soap encyclopedia is drawing a blank here luke i don't know Uh, you know what Uh,
0: one of these days we're gonna need to come up with an episode that is stump jamie well
2: um i actually looked it up
1: that won't be hard to do luke (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i have faith in you jamie faith
2: i looked it up and um she's from 1984 that's when she was killed oh wow and she is i'm trying to see if there's anybody on here who are the bowers that are on the show still
1: none well rick is there and some of his <laughs> yeah. straggler the, kids but yeah. he wanted
0: what happened to the quartermains happened to the bowers about 5 years ago and they're down to one
1: yeah so rick bower is the only bower currently on the show Rick has a daughter, Layla, that they never show, and one of Harley's seventeen children is by him. So technically, there are three Rick. Bowers on the show.
0: Okay. okay.
2: So well. Rick is her nephew. Okay. Okay,
1: so okay, so she's Ed's sister. She's one of the original Bower kids, then.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for enlightening us, Tina. Information coming from an ABC person. I'm totally, totally shocked. (laughs) And impressed all at the same time. Well, coming in at number five for me is Emily's Death, not so much because she died, but because of the grieving that took place. I think that it, in recent memory, I had a hard time choosing this between this one and the Metro Court. And, but I finally went with this because I really think that Rebecca Herbst and C- Tyler Christopher and Steve Burton did some of the best acting work of their careers. And just watching them mourning over Emily's body in that house was something I will never forget. Jamie, who do you have at number four?
1: My number four is from The Bold and the Beautiful. It goes against the grain because it's not about the one true love couple, Brooke and Ridge. It is about my favorite Brooke pairing, Brooke and Thorne. Brooke and Thorne had always been the Forrester boy that kind of supported Brooke during all her shenanigans with um, Eric and Ridge and Stephanie. But they did this storyline where, in working together, um, you know, R- Ridge chose Taylor that round. I think I think that was round 752. So Ridge was with Taylor, Brooke was alone, and a friendship that had been there since the beginning of the show slowly developed into a love affair. And Susan Flannery did her best acting, in my opinion, ever. Because Thorn, while Ridge is the one that she puts on this weird, creepy, um, epitipal, uh fireplace mantle, Thorn was her tried and true good boy that she could always depend on to make the right decision. So for Brooke, her arch enemy, to get her hands on her baby, and she even said that. She was like, you're sleeping with Thorn, my baby? And of course the man is like 40. But it was just brilliant. I mean, and she ripped into Brooke, calling her amoral. I mean, they still do that stuff, but it means nothing now because everyone on the show is a whore that sleeps through families. But back then, they really kept the archetypes that Stephanie was the principled matriarch, Taylor was the above above reproach daughter daughter-in-law, and Brooke was the slut. So they really played those beats well, whereas now it's just everybody's amoral. And, I mean, she lit into Brooke so many times, but Thorne and Brooke were an against all odds couple. They fought to be together. They really it wasn't about Ridge. She loved this man. And the Foresters teamed up to separate them. Stephanie convinced Ridge to pretend that he wanted to be back with Brooke just so to tempt Brooke away from Thorne to show Thorne that um basically to show Thorne that Brooke was still a slut. And What happened was one of the best moments in um, um, soap history for me. Taylor agreed to it. She was very scared because how many times had Brooke taken Ridge from her over the years? So she didn't want to let Ridge be used as bait. But anyway, she did. And Ridge pretended he was having marital problems with Taylor. And Stephanie basically set it up to where Thorne would be coming up to the hotel at that time. Um, Thorne walked in on Ridge kissing Brooke. To try to get her into bed. He didn't see Brooke push um, Ridge away. He only saw the kiss. So a dejected thorn leaves. They're in Paris for one of the... Or, no, it was Italy. Or Paris, I can't remember. One of their location shoots. <laughs> and Macy just happened to be over there too. And he ran into Macy on a bridge. And before Brooke could get to Thorne, he had married Macy. And it was just... Wrong, You know, those damn foresters broke them up. They ruined everything. And it was just, it was great. But it was the best storyline because it just, I mean, it it was organic, realistic, and it wasn't plot pointy. So sorry it took me that long, but I had to give the setup. So um, Brook and Thorns, you know, aborted love affair is my number four. Tina,
0: will you have a longer setup or a shorter setup than Jay? (laughs)
2: Uh, i don't know um my number four is from all my children and it's kind of a two-part thing stewart was first some setup yes stewart was first introduced uh in the early 80s i think 84 85 he was the evil twin that adam had locked out in the west wing but Uh, He wasn't really bad, but that's the way it first appeared because the housekeeper uh, was trying to get Stuart to get rid of Erica. And he wanted, uh, you know, so uh, Stuart was told that Erica was evil and that, you know, she had to be stopped at all costs. So even though he was trying to hurt her, he was, he thought he was doing the right thing to help Adam, which it it was kind of really sick twisted because it showed this different side of Adam the twin who who was a little slow. And then he went from that and and he kind of just became this nice little older, the older brother who was just a little slow and he was kind of just off to the side and no one really paid much attention to him. And then he fell in love and he, his first, his first love was a doozy and her name was Cindy Parker. And I, I, think i'm not sure because i don't watch the other soaps soaps but i'm pretty sure she mm-hmm. was the um first aids soap death on screen um she was played by your wonderful friend ellen wheeler
0: um <laughs> who is it that has her as a personal friend exactly <laughs> i'm not sure
2: kim Zimmer. <laughs> Um but she was a um she was an AIDS victim who had been uh, basically ostracized um she'd been a victim uh, of vigilantes uh destroying her home um and, and she was dying and Stuart knew it, and he fell in love with her anyway and he married her anyway um he adopted her son and we slowly watched her die on screen and it was actually really sweet really, you know, really nicely done, and it's just nice to have Stuart on screen as a counterpoint to Adam, because sometimes when they do these evil twin things, they just don't work out well.
0: Reagan, who do you have at number four?
3: Well, I would be, like I said, I'm going all GH, and I wouldn't be a very good liaison fan if I didn't pick the Knight of Passion (laughs) on (laughs)
1: my list.
2: Up to 38 flights of stairs.
3: (laughs) Up
1: those stairs, girl. Get you some.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry. I was waiting forever for it. I was happy it happened. I've got a kid that's going to bind them together forever. You know, it works for me. I don't care what.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So here's the question. If you ever have, when you have children of your own, if you choose to do so, will you be naming them after their child? This will test the true basis of whether or not you are a liaison fan.
3: I do like the name Jake, so I have considered it. Okay. But no, probably not. I mean, no, I I don't think I can.
1: (laughs) Why General Hospital won't freaking give us this – that is the best supercouple that came down the pike in the last 15 years. And why they refuse to give us what we want, I'll never know.
3: Well, because I'm convinced we're on a planet where they're cool, and they're on, like, the real planet where they're not, and we're all just Ugh. crazy. Because I don't get it either. It's ridiculous. There's, like, rumors now that after September ends that it's they're going to be on another stall again, and I can't handle it anymore.
1: Yeah. So.
0: I'm reporting another one of Mike's texted-in picks here. Um, I'm hoping that Tina can shed some light on this one because I know we've talked about it, but uh, she can go into it a little. One of his other picks for the top five storylines to always remember is Karen on the stand on One Life to Live.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, when she stands there and proclaims she's a hooker. You know, she was the upstanding wife of the doctor. She had the perfect life by day and by night, you know, she'd do anything for a dollar, I guess.
0: (laughs) Something (laughs) strange
1: for some change. And it
0: was a lot more back then, too, I'm sure. Coming in at number four for me is a pair who had one of the most memorable romances in my short viewing history with the show. But it's the reason why I started watching it. It's the reason why I stuck around. And it is not Greenlee and Leo, surprisingly. Um, It is is Katie and Simon 1.0 on As the World Turns. When they first started, it was just... It was a thing of beauty. It was truly romance in the afternoon, I mean, or love in the afternoon. And it was just... Something so nice and so classical, but yet so much fun to watch. So they are my number four pick. Jamie, who do you have at number three?
1: My number three, I call it Daddy's Dying Who Got the Corey Will. Douglas Watson was the patriarch of Another World. Um, Mackenzie Corey, the founder of the Corey publishing dynasty and half of the show's biggest super couple, Mac and Rachel. When he died, a lot of people say that the show, that it was over. I disagree with that because some of my favorite years came after his death, but it really never was the same without Mac. But that death, which is what I think should happen with all soap vets, they should die organically in real life first and then on the show. It gave them one of their best storylines for me as a young fan. I'm sure the people who watched you know, in the 70s would disagree. But it was, who got Corey Publishing? Iris had come back at that point. It wasn't the legendary Beverly McKenzie. It was Carmen Duncan, an Australian actress who I adored. I didn't have the I didn't know Beverly as Iris, so Car- Carmen was awesome for me. And um, she was this Joan Collins esque bitchy Australian. I don't know why Mac had an Australian daughter, but anyway, um, she had come back to take control of Corey Publishing, that had just been revealed before Mac died before douglas died in real life so they used it in the storyline that mac was so devastated after learning that iris uh took over the family company and had been conspiring against the family that mac died on the show too later we found out he had a heart condition but the guilt that iris had stayed with her forever she looked up at his the portrait of the two of them that she had at her sprawling gorgeous, glamorous penthouse that made me want a penthouse when I was a kid, that you never see these kind of sets on soaps anymore, but she had this big portrait of them, and she just screamed at it, daddy, and fell to the floor, I mean, it was awesome, soap opera at its best, and then that led into who would get control of Corey Publishing, Mac left a third of the company to his widow, Rachel, a third to Iris, and a third to his youngest daughter, Amanda. Basically, it was a cluster fight then, because um, Common Logic would have thought that Amanda and Iris would just use their shares to control the company, but the company had other shares. It was a public company. And Victoria Love Hudson Frame, who was the dejected Corey daughter-in-law played by Anne Hesch, had just went through a brutal divorce with Rachel's oldest son, Jamie, and the Corys used their influence and power to steal custody away from, of Stephen, the oldest, Vicky's oldest son. And so Vicky had lost custody of her son. She'd been humiliated in this divorce because of her affair, her affair with Jake. Um, well, anyway, Ann Hesh was the best Maggie the Cat ever in daytime to me. Vicky's grandfather, Reginald Love, had left her 10% of Corey publishing just enough to vote for Iris and vote Rachel out. And Vicky showed up at the last minute in a red freaking dress and voted Rachel out as CEO of Corey publishing and voted for Iris. And the Corey's were speechless because they had all teamed up to take her kid. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. But I mean, <laughs> That was what I can. I love. People say that the, the business storylines don't work on soaps.
0: Oh yes, they do. Good, yeah, yeah, they they're do. my favorite. I always do. Almost. It, I used
3: to watch The World, and I you just like replayed that all, and I just saw it all in my head. I'm and...
1: trying to think. Did she really have on a red dress? She had a. Red, she used to wear that red dress all the time. But she, I know her lipstick was red, and I'm she marched sure. in there, and she was I... like, "Hello, everyone." You know that crappy uh, yeah, I... voice I... she had. Oh my God, it was. It was it was awesome. And, I loved you know, another world. <laughs> oh, I did too. And she hated Iris. That's the thing. She hated Iris, but she used those shares and and I hated the fact that over the next couple of years they kind of forgot that Vicky owned shares in Corey Publishing. You know, when she was fighting Grant, it was like Grant had all this money like Luke talks about. They take away the money and the power and the glamour of soaps because they want to make everybody middle class. But I liked Vicky being the wealthy bitch whose grandfather had left her a hundred million dollars in and stock in Corey Publishing, but um, yeah, See, that was... that.
0: That gets onto a tangent that it just drives me nuts. I hate the fact that these soaps have all went middle class. Yeah, these soaps should be Dynasty day in and day out. Period. Yep. Tina, who do you have at number four or three?
2: Number three. Um. I have a storyline, which uh, to me is a very memorable storyline, but I have a feeling it's about to be destroyed on present-day television. So I'm going to remember it with fondness right now. And that's a Marty's gang rape. Uh, It was a very controversial storyline. It was something that was very, very different. It was something that wasn't really talked about very much at the time. I think it helped a lot of people to be able to actually talk about rape. You know, you watched her sit there, go through trial, do everything. And yeah. Okay. you know, as in a soap world, not everybody gets punished, but uh, you know, she actually went through all of the steps that, you know, they say that rape, that rape victims should go through. So, Um, I thought it was actually one of the more realistic storylines on One Life to Live during a time where they had a lot of unrealistic storylines.
1: Eterna, anyone? 1968? Amazing. These things happen at the same time. I gotta say, Tina, I was talking about this the other day, and I'll probably get lambasted for this, but that's one thing I was talking to Luke about. It's like, I didn't watch One Life to Live back then, but... I kind of roll my eyes when people act like it was just so much more superior than days when I hear about these stories like Eterna and let's go back to 1977 and dance with John Travolta in, in, you know, I mean, why was that so much superior than Stefano and his mind control? It sounds very similar. I mean, I get people liking it, but I I just don't really think that it's any, and I'm sure that it's legacy years, probably the seventies and early eighties were, but the Paul no, sound kind of just like James well, e. and
2: You know, it's kind of funny. Eterna was a very odd storyline, but it brought us Megan, uh, another memorable moment when Megan died of lupus, uh, Vicky's yeah. daughter. Uh, so that's, you know, while Eterna is kind of remembered for the funky outfits and the living underground for months. I mean, I think that's what most fans bring away from Eterna is that Vicky reconnected with Roger Gordon and that she got her daughter, and even though she had her for a short time. You know, the, 19, the 1888 storyline, which they just tried to parody with the 1968 thing that they've just done, um, it reconnected Vicky and Clint, who at that time were a great romance. So it was something that came out of it that was a big payoff for fans. And at the you know at the same during these same time eras you also had these this rape storyline going on and and you had uh court cases and it, it was like there was a balance to the show there was the camp on one segment and then this glaring harsh reality in the other and I
3: honestly I only remember the harsh reality I don't even remember that those other storylines were going on at the time of the gang rape storyline. I remember coming home every day. And having to see what happened in court that day. Like it was like a real life thing to me. I had to see what what happened that day. And what was going. What was now connected.
1: didn't Todd try to blame. I remember reading about it a little. Wasn't Kevin a suspect?
2: Yes he was. Yes. Well he was one of the four. Well originally four were accused. Because uh, Marty didn't know. Exactly how many had raped her at first.
1: Oh, God. Um, so she yeah.
2: accused four, and then Kevin got himself exonerated, and then it was just the three.
1: Now, what happened to these other guys? I mean, do they – One's I mean, are they in a the any...
2: sanitarium, and the other one's in jail, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That would be a great story thread for that guy to come back pissed off that Todd has lived the life of Riley while – but, of course, that would be too much like...
0: Especially if he's boinking us
1: again. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I just hope they wrap that shit up really quick because it's just obscene and stupid. <laughs> and I can't that even went You there. know,
2: it, it was like a train wreck yesterday. You know, you look at the screen and you're watching them kiss. And I don't know whether to vomit, throw something at my TV, uh, turn it off permanently. And it, it oh, was like I was helplessly oh, scared, I, you staring know the, the green screen.
0: St- the green soup that spewed, or pea soup that spewed out of um, what's her name's mouth in The Exorcist?
1: <laughs> That's what... Well, I know what it did for me. I went and turned my candle, you know, the candle I had in the mirror, I mean, in the window for the hope of daytime that I lit for Ron, because I thought Ron Carlovati could save it. I, I went ahead and stamped that candle out because if this is the road he's going down.
2: Well, I don't know that this. Is the road he's going down or um there are rumors that this whole Marty and Todd saga ha- has come down from on high. Oh and... god
1: Don't <laughs> tell me not my Franzi. I try to defend him. He couldn't have Franzi No Ugh. I'm so ashamed.
0: Okay. We gotta keep going. This is just gonna make us all ill. Um, Reagan, who do you have at number three?
3: I feel like it's kind of morbid, but I had to go with Elizabeth's rape storyline for number three. That
0: was a good
1: one. That was a good one, because that's when Are I started about that... the time I started watching. <laughs> We're going to make that Carlovati or Franzi go, see, they love rape. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, because you want to know why that rapist is dead and he's never coming back.
1: Yeah. Thanks
3: to Jason.
1: <laughs> hey, that's why they call him uh, yeah. Super Jace. <laughs> Did Jason um, really kill her rapist too?
3: No, I don't know. I was oh. just
1: kidding. <laughs> Jason's freaking is Atlas. He holds the world up.
3: <laughs> is, isn't he still in jail? Is he still in jail, Tom Baker?
2: I thought he was dead. I thought he had been killed in jail, but I could be mistaken. No, it could be a fanfic.
1: <laughs> oh God. I- <laughs> The storyline. never tell.
3: I think there is a lot of fanfic out there where Jason like goes back and has him killed in prison to like avenge what he did to his sister and Elizabeth. But anyways, we'll get back to what actually happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, she came on the show as this like real brat, and I liked her like that. Don't get me wrong, but oh, yeah. this like really like changed the character, and you got to see her go through that change, and it wasn't something that was rushed and. You got Lucky and Elizabeth out of that, and as big of a Jason and Elizabeth fan as I am, I, I loved Lucky and Elizabeth then. And oh. you got, like, probably one of, like, the best, like, moments ever between the Spencer family, and that was when Lucky found out that Luke raped Laura.
0: Yes. I, oh, that was gosh. something. Jonathan Jackson, boy. Uh, yeah. I like Greg Vaughn, but boy, Jonathan <laughs> Jackson with Rebecca Herbst, that young love was just uh, something.
1: That would test my liaison love to no end if they got yeah. Jonathan I would be in a quandary, like I haven't been since early Sonny Jacks, Brenda.
0: Okay, um, considering we're all liaison fans on this podcast, um, I'm going to go around the circle real quick. If you had to choose LNL one versus liaison, who would you choose, Jamie? Oh God!
1: Oh God! Oh God! That'd be so hard. They were. I'm so, I'm going to lose my liaison fan club. It's. I'd have to go with LNL. God, they were so good. That was the yeah. best teen storyline. Liaison. Reagan?
3: Do you really have to ask me?
0: I'm asking. Go on the Wait, record.
3: Liaison. I mean, I I loved guess I proved Jackson. I'm not a
1: true liaison <laughs> fan today, but
3: <laughs> there was something
1: about those two. And that fucking train thing that they lived in, it was. Oh. So,
3: oh. oh, yeah. They were good. Don't get me wrong. I did love them. But it's like after Lucky died, which was another memorable storyline that is not on my list, but it it should yes. be. Um, you got like this great relationship that they started to build with Jason and Elizabeth. And I I did, I loved L and L one and I even like L and L three or whatever they're on now. Um, (laughs) I wasn't too fan of a big fan of the Jacob Young years, but
0: I don't think anybody was. I, and yeah, was, I, 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 I was a Lux. fan of Jacob Young, but I wasn't a fan
3: I don't, yeah. No. Um but I don't I, I'd ha- I'd always have to go with Jason and Elizabeth. I mean, I don't think I've ever been this attached to a soap opera couple except for Frisco and Felicia ever.
0: Okay. We will stop away for step away from the psycho and move on <laughs> to number 3 pick. Coming in at number three for me is Felicia's cancer story on Bold and the Beautiful, especially in recent years I, from for myself of the shows that I've watched. I think that it's the best cancer storyline that I've watched, and you have to give it to Leslie Kay. I mean, she went all out. She shaved her head, and let me tell you, that woman doesn't look half bad with a buzz cut either. The Keep whole your thing... sick fantasies to yourself, buddy. She's G.I. Gorgeous. Jane. There you go. Um She's absolutely gorgeous. She is. She's absolutely gorgeous. And that storyline, she would have won that Emmy had Jeannie Francis not come back. I firmly believe it, and no one will ever convince me otherwise. If Jeannie Francis hadn't made that special appearance for the twenty fifth anniversary, Leslie
1: K. She should have won, won it regardless. I love Jeannie, but that's what's wrong with this whole thing. How do you get the best lead actress for or best was it supporting that year? Uh huh. For five minutes of work. When that girl gave a great cancer storyline for
0: months. The thing is, is that cancer storyline was going at the same time that Reva had her cancer storyline and the same time that Lucinda had her cancer storyline or else it was just in the middle of them. Some, but they were all very close in the same it time. Plus, Emily, Alexis
3: was Alexis. Alexis
0: or Emily also had something. I on, think it was
3: Alexis. Yeah. I mean,
0: it, it
1: Alexis was, had the sniffles because she got over it in five minutes. She had minutes. the,
3: oh, she had the, mean, the sniffles and
1: cancer? a scarf. Yeah. With the
3: best extensions ever.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. just like her hair. Mm-hmm. Monica's amazing. breast cancer storyline was phenomenal, though. Oh yeah, it was. Going back to Mike's texted
0: in list. It's like American uh, Idol. Yeah. Anything Heather on General Hospital?
3: Oh, Heather Webber.
0: I'm assuming that's who it means, because he's well, a big fan of... The only
1: Heather what's... Webber storyline I saw was that mess. When she pretended to be Laura, I'll let Tina go there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you have the original Heather Webber stuff.
0: I'm assuming this is Matson because yeah. he's a big fan of hers. Me too. Or was there more than one Heather?
2: Oh, She's, no, he's got he's to yeah, he's, he's be talking about Heather Grant. Heather Grant Webber... Uh, let me see. She was the mid-70s. She's Stephen Lars's mom. Yeah, she's a nanny. Um, she uh, wanted to uh, get Jeff, who at the time was married to Monica. Heather and Jeff slept together, and she got pregnant. Jeff wanted her to have an abortion, uh, which she, she basically said she was going to do. She left town, had the baby, Um, told him the baby had died, but she actually sold it to the people who she was a nanny for. Uh, A couple years later, um, she was, she actually ended up marrying Jeff, um, and he was definitely under the impression that their baby had died. You know, she wanted to get her son back, so she ended up uh, trying to drug the woman she sold the baby to, but she ended up taking the drug herself and ended up in a loony bin she when she came back she pretended amnesia so she had no idea what was going on jeff wanted a divorce and then heather was thought to have killed diana but then it really wasn't it was heather's mother then she ended up in bed with scott baldwin Then she was involved in the Who Killed Susan Moore storyline, one of the best storylines in GH history. Jason's mother. Yes.
0: Basically, what they did to her when she came back the last time was just a major discredit.
1: Yeah.
2: As usual, this this is the current regime. That's what they do. I don't know why anybody comes back. Well, it's
1: the current state of daytime ever. They don't get complex villains like Stenbeck or Heather Weber or... When they bring them back, they turn them into cartoons, because that's all they know how to do, is play one note, either bad or good, no shades well, of gray. Look at, was a li- Look at what they did to Stephen! Look at what they did to Stephen Casadine, how complex <laughs> and great he was. Then they brought him back, mustache in place, ready to twirl.
2: Well, you know, Heather was a little cartoonish back in her day. I mean... I I remember when she came back and she was pretending the amnesia. It, this was kind of the storyline that was going on while Luke and Laura were on the run. Um, it was the other storyline that was playing in the early 80s. It, it, it was kind of funny because we all knew she was faking it. And, and much like, you know... Right now on One Life to Live, everybody think can't believe that nobody realizes that Jess is actually Tess. And you wonder how everyone got so stupid. It was the same kind of thing. So some, it was a little cartoony.
1: Jamie, who do you have at number two? My number two, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, so I won't have to go into great detail. But it was, is Gina really Hope? Um, Wow, a James E. Riley storyline is on my top five. But, yeah, um, they brought Christian Alfonso back without... I mean, it, I, this was really brave for daytime because they usually do the, you know, nothing... It wasn't new to do a lookalike or a twin. But they brought this character back with the red herring of is she really Hope Williams-Brady. Bo was in love with Billy, Lisa Serena by that time and was in a wildly popular relationship with Billy... But it was Robert Kilker Kelly as bow, so there were the Bo and Hope fans were kind of at a loss. But they played these beats for a whole year that Gina could be Hope or couldn't. You know, they did. You know, they found plastic surgery markings that would indicate that, um, you know, she had had plastic surgery after the fire. I mean, after the acid. You know, that Hope would have fallen in, but that plastic surgery could have also proved that Stefano had this woman made to look like hope. Then they did a DNA test and the DNA test was inconclusive. It said that she was related to Sean Douglas, but they couldn't, you know, conclusively prove. So it was all these red herrings and basically Gina just decided to be Gina. You know, she, cause she, you know, that's the only name that she remembered, you know, cause that's what Stefano called her. So Gina was having a life in Salem, they had brought Peter Reckle back, so of course we knew that they were going to put Bowen Hope back together. But um, there was still the red herring. I mean, even me as a true Bowen Hope fan wondered are they really stupid enough to not make this woman hope? Well, you know, you really kind of got used to her being Gina. And then one day, Billy and Gina, who were the best of friends, and I hate that they ruined that years later, were walking at Salem Place Mall, and someone attacked Billy. And Hope tripped the guy and collared him, or Gina, you know, at that point. And so Billy was like, how did you do that? And Gina was like, I don't know. Well, Hope was a cop. So it was like, uh uh-oh, you know, that was that little wink that Riley used to be a master at doing. And then, you know, Gina decided because of that to join the police department. Well, she's at the firing range, and she shoots her gun and passes out. And all of Hope's memories come flooding back. But that still wasn't enough to prove to Bo that she was Hope. But Grandpa Horton had left a letter in a magic box, and he had only taught one, or he had, no, not the letter. He had a magic box that he had only let one of his grandkids know how to open, and that was Hope. Not Jennifer, not Melissa, not any of the rest of them. Only Hope knew how to open this magic magic puzzle box. Gina knew how to open the box. They played these beats with Lisa Renna looking like someone was kicking her in the gut because she realized, this bitch is Hope. It's over for me and Bo. And then there was a letter inside. Bo still, being the stubborn Bo Brady, still didn't want to believe that it was Hope. Hope had left Bo a letter in the box that she had written to him on their, you know, right after their honeymoon. And Bo starts reading the letter. Gina starts tearing up midway through and finishes the letter. She starts reciting it, Word for word because that was Stefano wouldn't have known anything about it. So basically we knew at that point that Gina was really hope. Then the DNA they did another DNA test that Stefano didn't get to and it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt she was Hope. Lisa Renna went packing and Bo and Hope were back. So that's my number two. You say you tell your
0: stories with such passion. I always appreciate that.
1: Because there is nothing <laughs> to be passionate about anymore. <laughs> Today it's over. It's Tina, over. who do
0: you have at number two?
2: Uh, my number two is uh, BJ's death and Maxie's heart on General Hospital.
1: Oh
2: yeah,
0: miss that. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Um,
3: hey,
2: it's on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube that
3: one. That's that's a definite, and make sure you have a whole box of Kleenex next to you. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> it, it, it It's truly sad that other than Maxi, we have no one involved in that storyline on screen right now. Yeah, They're all uh, dead. No, they're not. Bobby's not dead. Not well, dead. Not make, dead. Felicia's <laughs> not dead. Uh, some of but, them are, but but...
0: May I just say... At least they're writing Maxie really, really well. I honestly believe yeah. that Kirsten Storm's role as Maxie is probably one of the best But they best never characters. should have killed
1: Georgie. Frisco and Felicia, in a moment of grief, thinking they were going to lose Maxie, slept together and made Georgie. You mm-hmm. don't kill characters like that with that kind of... Ugh, History. Legacy. Yeah.
2: It, it, it's, it, it's astounding that... Um, you know, Emily is
1: dead, you know, the kid that Monica adopted after her breast cancer scare, Though she met her mother while they were... I mean, they just kill off these characters that have so much resonance with the audience. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, no, <laughs> I perfectly agree. Actually, I was really sad when BJ died. I mean, it's not often that they truly just kill a child, you know, yeah. Yeah. on screen, but y- you knew they weren't going to let Maxie die. They had to find Maxie a heart that, you know, they had her on the donor list, but you know, a a blood relative would always be a better donor. And, you know, I I remember when they wheeled her into the hospital from the school bus accident (sighs) and they knew she was, you know, completely brain dead. She was only being kept alive by the ventilator and, and Tony made that decision to disconnect the machine and take the heart and give it to Maxie because it was a match. Oh,
1: was and great,
2: I, remem- I remember Bobby just screaming at him that he couldn't do that and he couldn't take her. And it was amazing wow. because Bobby wasn't even her mom. She was her, you know, stepmom. But you could tell she loved this girl. And, you know, I I, I still remember when... You know, She comes out into the hall, and and she sees Felicia, and Felicia's all excited that they found a match, and they're prepping Maxie for surgery. And and it it took a minute, but then she realized that the heart was coming from BJ, and she was just like, oh, no, oh, no. And she literally collapses.
1: Yeah, and she starts uh, yelling, not Barbara Jean,
2: not Barbara Jean.
1: Her niece. Can you imagine? (laughs) I mean, that's – oh, my God.
2: You know, that was like so Drama. I mean, it's when you suddenly realize that everybody in the town is kind of truly related and everything like crashes into each other and everyone is affected by this one drunken moron who hit a school bus. Yeah.
1: And then Bobby and Tony's marriage, I mean, it survived, but it was on its last legs. And that's why Carly was able to come right in there. Mm hmm.
2: And do and her mass destruction, not just on B- Bobby and Tony, but on all of Port Charles
1: yeah. and General Hospital. And the Hospital thing of it is, it was so and... plotted back then. I mean, it was plotted. People talk about plot like a bad thing. But when plots are done good, I mean, back then, it was methodically plotted out. You know, oh, God, it was so it's good.
3: Because now it's a lot of plot points and nothing that's yeah. plotted out. You
1: know? Where is Claire Labine I don't know
2: that story was amazing
0: Reagan, who do you have at number two
2: I was going to do a little trifecta
3: because they're all little like big events but not really storylines and they're all mob related so Jamie you'll love it my my first my trifecta is Lullaby Massacre when Laura is singing to a baby Lulu and gunfire is just (laughs) erupting all over town loved it oh yes (laughs)
1: Nobody could eat the mobsters. And see, that's what this show is really missing. If they had Jeannie Francis to rip the mobsters a new one every once in a while, like she used to, I think the fans that don't like the mob would kind of like that. Because the way she used to rip into Sonny and Luke, oh, God, when she thought Lucky died in that fire. Oh, she that was ate good, dude. <laughs> that Jeannie can, and oh, God. Uh, that's why I hate seeing her come back to play Lulu's Casper, the friendly soap star. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, who is number two on your trifecta?
3: um Clink Boom, which I know, Luke, you said you're not even sure what Clink Boom really is, but it's when it, Sonny married Lily because she was pregnant. And they're at Luke's club celebrating. Brenda is off on a yacht with Jax getting married because she's <laughs> heartbroken. Over over Sonny and Lily. And you see it all comes about in slow motion. Mike stops Sonny to talk to him. And Lily says, I'll drive, honey. You're too drunk. I'll get the car. She goes to the car to get the car. They're still talking. Brenda and Jax are on the yacht getting married. They clink champagne flutes together. Lily starts the car and boom. boom. <laughs> it was awesome. <sighs> I mean, it's sad that Lily died, but it was Awesome. No it is <laughs> <laughs> I, so I was not I was not unhappy to see Lily Rivera leave. She
1: oh, wasn't one of my
3: favorite characters, but I, I don't I mean I wasn't happy that she died. So if there are Lily fans out there, I'm not that advocating That was so that, good. too, my god. That was I mean, so good.
1: Brenda was so finally good. moving on and then the bitch is finally dead and she could have had Sunny. <laughs>
2: But it literally, Luke, I kid you not when I tell you, you see the champagne glasses go clink and then it cuts to the car and the car goes boom. And that was your Friday tag.
1: (laughs) See, that's why I've said it. I've said this before when people wonder like, and yeah, I know that there are plenty of problems with G.H. Trust me, it's not that show anymore. But G.H. has been the only show, except for days, you know, in the early years with Riley During the 90s to excite the hell out of me. None of the rest of them were exciting me by the 90s. Not even Another World. None of them. GH still could excite Mm -hmm. the hell out of you. I'd say up until 2006. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's struggling now.
2: That was your Friday tag. Spoilers were not quite as prevalent back then as they are now.
1: And that beautiful Uh, song. I'll miss that beautiful, not this high. Da, 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 i'm like where's the soft little kenny g <laughs> it was
2: it was just a pretty little instrumental but the, the best part was is when they first when they cut to it on the friday and the car blew up nobody knew whether or not Sonny had gotten in yes you didn't know who was in the car
3: at that point
2: because they just showed that like that little driver section and then the sheer explosion, yeah, and then when they showed it on Monday because they kind of re-aired it as they still do to this day, they yeah. show it from a slightly different view, and you see that Mike and and Sonny are still by the door.
1: You know why that happens, Tina, because different script writers they get this they get different breakdowns and it still has that that same lead in. So they basically the scriptwriter who wrote Friday didn't write Monday, so they're basically writing it again.
2: <laughs> well, no, so, it, it, it it was the opening, you know, intro on Friday answered the question from on on the opening intro on Monday answered the question from Friday, yeah. which was it, it is something that draws suspense, the cliffhanger, you know. It's kind of funny. Soapnet does these cliffhanger Friday things. I, I don't find. There there are no cliffhangers. There are no cliffhangers. They don't do them that way anymore. Uh, Even knowing spoilers, I mean, even if I didn't know them, I just don't find these dramatic endings on Fridays like they used to have.
0: No. Yeah. What is your number three of your number two?
2: Something you should
3: love. okay. It's when Nicholas got shot outside of Luke's club. This is
1: a a girl. I love me some Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) You understand the beauty of Guza.
3: I do when he when Goose is good. Yes, I do understand him. But he gets there's a drive by shooting and he gets shot outside the club and Jason's there and he's Jason Morgan at that point, but that's like when that little bit of Jason Quartermane kicks in yes. and he remembers that he wanted to be a doctor. But why you should love it, Luke, if you have you seen this one? No. Is when he's recovering, this is where like the Nicholas and Robin friendship came from.
1: And see that what I was gonna say when Luke was talking about the best acting Tyler's done Love you, Tyler. But the best acting you did was your first couple of years on the show. He was brilliant back then.
3: He was really good back then. He was. See, but he, see, see I only I saw. While,
1: okay,
0: maybe, maybe I just am forgetting it because when I started watching, it was just about the time that Nicholas was revealed to be Laura's son. Yeah, well, that's when he was good. Mm-hmm. Well, but but see, I don't. But uh, that was so long ago, and I I didn't know the stories well enough back then for me to remember. Him being shot. I guess I just don't remember it.
1: Oh, it was that good. Was Guza, that was Guza's opening. He had been replaced at that point, and he came back, and that was like his opening. "I'm back." Slavo.
2: Yes, that was his opening. <laughs> "I'm here, bitch." But
3: it was it was awesome because you know there's Jason and Luke gets in the ambulance with him because he knows he has to because it's Laura's son, and it was just. I thought it was fantastic. I loved – those are, like, my three, like, mob trifectas that I really, really love.
0: Well, moving on to Mike's final pick, I think, from the looks of it here. Um, And I've discovered why he's not here with us. Turns out that September 9th is his birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Mike. So (laughs) even though that will date this episode, happy birthday, (laughs) assuming he actually listens. <laughs> um, Come coming in at- for him next is Cecile tormenting Blaine on Another World.
1: Jamie Cecile DePonier, pre Anne as Vicky Hudson, was Another World's penultimate bitch after Rachel reformed, of course, because Rachel Corey was the first bitch of Another World. Uh, oh God, Nancy Frangion played Cecile, this blonde, lush '80s. You know, Vixen. You know, it it was a template, really. Mindy Lewis, uh, Tina from One Life to Live, but Another World had Cecile Duponier. She was a grifter who married both Corey's sons, uh, you know, Jamie Frame and Sandy Corey. She had Maggie. Luke, if you remember the character of Maggie Corey, this is her mother, uh, Cecile. Cecile was... This was, I'm thinking... This was... Now, Mike is, is really... Telling his age here, because now I remember Cecile with the Blaine storyline, but I was a little boy, and it was like, Peter Love is who I think they were fighting over, who is Donna Love, Anna Stewart's older brother, or younger brother. He was the love heir, and Cecile was married to him, but he was really in love with Blaine, who was poor. You know, classic soap storyline. The rich, you know, the bitch fighting against the poor girl, the poor virgin good girl, and you know, Blaine kind of – Blaine, that whole – she was a Ewing, and Blaine got phased out pretty early. Sandy married – no, 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 I, I'm sorry. It wasn't Peter Love. Okay, I'm sorry. Sandy Corey, Mac's oldest son, was in love with Blaine. Yeah, I, I, I'm now I'm remembering. Blaine actually raised Maggie because Sandy and Blaine were this against-all-odds little couple, and Cecile was trying to get in there. and uh, But she also was screwing Jamie Frame and Cass Winthrop, and half the town, and you know she was just a, a Carly, a snatch-a-lope, as our Belinda would say. And um, but yeah, she had a baby on on Sandy Maggie, and then you know Sandy and and Blaine ended up getting married with Mac. I think Mac and Rachel's third wedding was a double wedding with uh, Sandy and Blaine. But um, Cecile was a, I mean, she was awesome. She was, you know, Luke at the end of Another World where Grant and Cindy end up on the island of Tanqir. Uh-huh. That was a wink to Cecile. Cecile Duponier, uh, when she came back one of her most famous times, me and Roger Newcomb talked about this the other day, because his favorite Another world characters were, I mean, Cass and Kathleen. You know, he was before Cass and Frankie. Well, before, when Cass first got engaged to Kathleen McKinnon, Jake McKinnon's cousin, Cecile kidnapped him to this island called Tanqir. So, again, that sounds a lot like One Night to Live. Uh, <laughs> Tank- Cecile had become the queen of Tankir. She had married this king, but he couldn't give her an heir. And if she didn't get an heir, they were going to lose the, the principality. So she got her old lover and kidnapped him so that Cass could sire her an heir. So Felicia and Wally, the little person... And all of them had to go try to save Cass. <laughs> it, was, it was comedy. I mean, it was that was their comedic storyline because Kathleen thought that Cass just ditched her at the altar, but really he was trapped on this island, being fed grapes by all of Cecile's servants. And so anyway, um, well, the storyline ended with her becoming. The queen of Tanqueira again, but she had to marry a thirteen-year-old boy who was the heir apparent. I mean, it was it was <laughs> nuts. It, it sounds a lot like one life to live, to be right? Now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, so that you know, you said Mike showing his age. I have an official confirmation from here in the form of a text message indicating that he is actually 105. So we would <laughs> like to wish him his 105th <laughs> birthday. And it there should, in that case, put him in, in reference because he is actually older than Guiding Light. <laughs> Only love can save the world. I'm happy that anytime someone says Guiding Light. <laughs> um, coming in at number two for me is actually a most memorable uh, storyline I'll always remember but not because it was good because it was that awful um, Erica Cain's unabortion uh, the Josh Madden as a Kane does not cut it rewriting history the way they did in Erica Cain's history of, of an abortion does not cut it this storyline needs to be undone I don't care how it's undone it just needs to be undone I know. Let's send Erica back to 1975. Well, that or else we'll just discover that he's not her son.
3: Yeah. Isn't he leaving? Can't they just write something real quick? This is, oh, by the way, we lied. He's not Erica Kane's son. Sorry.
1: That would be nice. I I mean, mean, if (laughs) you can bring Jesse back. I mean, I say with characters like that, you just do what they did to that one Martin boy, that Bobby Martin. Just let him disappear and never talk of him again. You know, just don't even mention him in the dialogue. The Martins never talk about Bobby. He went up those stairs looking for those skis, and they never showed him again. So, so Jamie, who do you have at number one? Uh, my number one is, is another Another World storyline. I'm, I'm showing my Anne Hesh fandom. But to me, this was probably the best storyline in the history of daytime it is who shot Jake McKinnon. You want to talk about an answer to Dallas's who shot J.R., where all of the people had a reason. Jake McKinnon came to town with Vicky Hudson when they found out that she had a look-alike who was becoming an, was going to come into a fortune. Vicky found out that she and Marley were twins, that Marley was raised by their mother to believe that she was her sister, while Vicky was given to the maid and was raised in a podunk town called Lasseter and grew up poor and having to live hand to mouth. So Vicky was very bitter. Marley had leukemia. This was Ellen Wheeler at the time, too. Um, well, she was a great actress. Um, Marley had leukemia. Vicky almost, Vicky was planning to basically barter her... her um bone marrow for money, but she ended up saving Marley's life, but the plan was for Jake to basically seduce Marley and steal her money, but Jake fell in love with Vicky, starting a triangle that lasted basically through the end of the show with several different actresses in the role, but who shot Jake culminated because Jake and Marley came back loving and happy and married, um, Vicky was trying to get Jamie Frame but she couldn't get him, and J- Jake and Marley were having marital affairs because he had cheated on her. So basically, Vicky and Jake had a one night stand. She used that one night stand because well, she didn't know if it was Jamie's or Jake's. So she married. She trapped Jamie into marriage. Jake and Marley got back together, um, and they just played this undercurrent, you know. Jake delivered Stephen, who could have been his kid. Well, the, you know, they played the beats. They played the beats. Finally, it came out that it could be a possibility that Stephen was Jake's. Marley couldn't have kids, so Jake decided he wanted Stephen. Uh, they did the DNA test. It proved to be Jamie's son, but the damage was done to the marriage. Both marriages imploded. Jake and, Vic, Jake and Marley's marriage ended. Jake and Vicky's marriage ended. But Jake was still obsessed with Marley. Meanwhile, Jake slept with Donna, their mother, because Donna was having trouble with Michael. And then by that time, Paulina had shown up saying that she was the Corey heir. Iris hired Jake to seduce her and get money out. I mean, then get proof that she wasn't a Corey, which he did, but it was false proof. So he was blackmailing Paulina. He was blackmailing Iris because he was going to tell Rachel that she hired him to dig up dirt on Paulina, who Rachel came to love. He had slept with all three love women, and then he raped Marley. When Marley was um, finally done with him, she tried to go leave. Jake was a video director. It was the worst and best rape storyline. Oh, my God. Marley's trying to leave his video studio, and he rapes her. Well, all we see at the end of the episode is Marley coming home, and Hesh playing both of these roles, telling Vicki that she had been raped. And. And Hesh put Marley, you know, she, Vicky put Marley down, told her, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. Grabbed her trench coat and headed out because Vicky was the badass twin. Marley was the wimp. At the same time, all of the women in town are basically planning to kill Jake. Paulina can't let him know, let people know that she might not be a Corey. Iris couldn't let Jake expose that she'd hired him to dig up dirt. Donna couldn't let it be known that she'd had an affair with him because she was back with Michael. So then Jake gets shot by a woman, and nobody knows who it is. Vicky, basically, is dating Ryan Harrison, who is the cop in the town, and is investigating Marley, the chief suspect. So Vicky pretends to be Marley, because Marley's so fragile and can't handle it, and all of these people are suspects. During the course of the trial, it, you know all this stuff comes out, You know, we learned that, you know, not during the trial, but shortly thereafter, we learned that Michael, I mean, that um, Donna was having an affair with um, Jake that cost Donna and Michael their adopted son, Mikey. They were having a custody battle at the time with Mikey's adopted parents. And Stacy Winthrop, Cass's sister, found out and told Donna she would reveal on the stands her affair with Jake. So Donna's affair cost her her son it cost all this stuff, so everybody had a great motive to want Jake McKinnon dead. Well, it turned out that it was Paulina, and that's around the time that Judy Evans took over the role from Callie Timmons, and it was just brilliant. It was brilliant. Jake black, When Jake came to, instead of him revealing that Paulina shot him, he blackmailed Paulina into marriage so that he could get his hands on the Corey fortune. And then Jake and Paulina fell in love so and became one of the best couples of the 90s on Another World. So Can who I just shot say, you?
0: I just love hearing you talk Another World because it brings back so many memories. And the stuff that I haven't heard before, it's always great to hear it for
1: the first time. Oh, it was great. Jake and Paulina, you know. Well, I they know were awesome. I never liked Paulina with that Joe or whatever, is it, the Italian guy. I was like, Ugh. Yeah, it
3: was Joe, the cop, or whatever he was.
1: And it really h- was hard for me. I fell in love with Jake and Vicky near the end because they were the last good couple. But that was even a hard sell for me. By that point, with Jensen in the role, Jake and Vicky really became best friends. So mm-hmm. I was like, it kind of grossed me out to see him screwing again. And, you know, him and Paulina were just the bomb.
3: I, I This just time warps me a little bit. I loved Another World, yet I didn't think of a single Another World world storyline for this podcast, which makes me sad. And I think, Oh,
1: no, this I was have... perfect. This was perfect because you gave all that great GH stuff that I'm like,
0: oh, God, I forgot all that.
1: <laughs> so, Tina,
0: is it General Hospital or do you have something from Santa Barbara at number one?
2: Um, actually, my number one is GH. And is number one, the same. I think it's the same as Reagan's. So... <laughs> Um, are we talking Stone's death? Hell yeah. (laughs) So, um, I don't believe you were watching then, Luke. Nope. So once again, you can YouTube it. (laughs) Stone ended up with AIDS. He ended up giving it to Robin. I don't know. To me, the best part of that entire storyline was the very end when he regained his sight and he saw Robin for the last time before he died. Oh, Uh,
3: I just like watched those scenes probably like maybe two or three weeks ago. And I had like got on this YouTube kick where I had watched like the shooting uh, outside of Luke's Club of Nicholas when I was that I was talking about before. But yeah, I rewatched those scenes where he can just like see her and when Sonny walks in afterwards and ugh, it just. That whole storyline from it starting at Lullaby Massacre when he found out he was HIV positive and he got shot in the leg and he didn't want Robin to get his blood on her. And all the way through his illness with counseling and Alan and then Robin getting tested. It just, that whole storyline was incredible. Mm. I loved everything about it including him dying, which was really sad because I love Stone and Robin, but I just felt it was done right from beginning to end. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: You silent, Jamie?
1: No, I'm actually, I mean, it makes you want to tear up because, I mean, look (laughs) at all of the the good they did. They educated me about HIV. The nurse's ball came from that. I mean. Oh,
3: yeah.
2: You know, uh, a lot of stories spun from Stone's death. uh Uh-huh. And
1: weren't Brenda and Sunny apart at that time? And she had to go to him.
2: Yes, yes.
1: It was so organic.
2: Uh, The to me, I I think the worst part about this entire HIV storyline is that they were so good at educating. I, I remember Robin meeting with Alan, finding out she was positive. You know, learning that while she was HIV positive, she didn't have the full-blown AIDS at the time. Yeah, like learning the difference between that. There was, yep. You know, knowing that there was a huge difference between that and that HIV isn't actually going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she could take this cocktail of pills and it was something that you used to see her do every once in a while, sit there and take the pills. And I can honestly say that until... Uh, I think it was this past week on or, or the week before on night shift was oh, the taking. first time I'd seen her take her cocktail of pills in years
3: yes, and remember it's even this the, the storyline when Michael was kidnapped when Tony kidnapped Michael yes. he took her with him and her without her pills, and just how like important it was that you know they she got they, sick yes.
2: Yes, and that the regimen is just so important and there's really nothing that, you know, that should get in the way of that. And, you know, and and it's
1: not even talking about shopping for a couch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And now it it just seems like, you know, here she is. They were, you know, you know, AIDS had been done before. It wasn't the first AIDS storyline, but it was probably the most educational Age storyline um, for a lot of people because it wasn't between people that were gay. It taught you that it wasn't just, uh, you know, gay people that got AIDS. Anybody could get AIDS from just about anywhere. Uh, and that, you know, it wasn't just, you know, a needle and a syringe and it wasn't just this. And, you know, it, it just showed you how AIDS can literally just happen.
3: And it was a younger Pair of characters too, which I think gave people that were in their teens and high school and maybe college years, it gave them something to relate to more than just a story. Just I guess your basic aid storyline, which I don't even know if that's fair to say, but it just it made it more relatable to the people that they were trying to educate by giving well, it to Robin, who people had watched grow up on the show. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And- she was, she, you know, she to me, she is the definition of a legacy character. Oh, absolutely. You know, basically, been on screen for so long, and we have such a history with her, watching her go through the trials <laughs> and tribulations of growing up, of losing her parents, getting HIV, that, you know, when they first said, that they were going to have her be pregnant. And, oh my, I was so scared that it was going to be just another stupid gimmick of a storyline, which it, sadly enough, has turned out to be. I mean, they still have time to save it. They still have time to educate that, yes, it is possible for someone who is HIV positive to have a a child, to not have a, a child be You know, born positive. There are ways, you know, things to do. They've touched on it, but they haven't really gotten into it, and I think they should. They have a wonderful, wonderful moment to actually educate fans and educate people on something that maybe I know that back in the day, I didn't know there was a difference between AIDS and HIV. Uh And to be perfectly honest, I am lucky enough that I can say that I don't have anyone in my life, you know, directly who is touched by the the issue right. of AIDS or HIV. But I would love to know, because you never know when that, you know, can come up exactly how you go about having a healthy child and how that works.
1: And And, I think- and they need to play the beats on, because I have to be devil's advocate here. I'm going to be, when I first heard about this storyline, I thought, that Robin was incredibly selfish. And I mean, I wish that they would have a Carly or, you know, the stock character that they use to say the hateful stuff, which is usually a lot of stuff that real people in real life would think. Because I thought to myself, okay, why not adopt? I mean, why even, yeah, it's a very minuscule risk, but why risk? You know, I mean, is the desire to bring a child into the world enough to really risk that child being infected by HIV? I mean, they didn't play any – of, and, and, and I know that they're trying their best to show that – you know, Chris Rock made a joke about it once, and it's kind of coming true, that one day AIDS and HIV would kind of be like, oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, my AIDS is acting up today because you can just take pills and, you know, and we have come so far that it's not a death sentence. But they they treat Robin's HIV sometimes like she has the sniffles.
3: And I like, said my – and i stand by what i said i think it was on a girls night out tina if you remember i learned more about being pregnant with aids and like what a 5 minute conversation on gray's anatomy that izzy had with a couple that came into the clinic and the woman was adamant that she had to have an abortion because she was hiv positive and she sat there and convinced them and gave them the facts of it then that- there was more in that one segment or one little storyline on one episode of Grey's Anatomy than you've heard for the last nine months that Robin's been pregnant on General Hospital.
0: Well, let's and hope that... it doesn't end up being 12 months like Alexis.
3: Well, she's going to give birth on October 29th.
0: So it will be 10 months.
2: Yeah, roughly. Well, guess I what? Know. A woman is truly pregnant 10 months, not nine months. <laughs> she is, but when you count it out, she got pregnant sometime around Christmas because that's when Georgie's
3: funeral. Well, the was. kid's
1: just as stubborn as as Robin. <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> you know, it's forty to forty two weeks that you're pregnant. Well, this nine months. crap hey, is the
1: longest ever in daytime. Was Vivian Alamein? She gestated <laughs> Philip Kiriakis for a full twelve months. <laughs> <laughs> is that what explains it? Well, and she was purpose- 65 years old when she got pregnant with you know, <laughs> Let's hope that
0: Reva's pregnancy on Guiding Light doesn't last as long. But it provides uh-huh. a great segue into my number one. Um, because my number one is from Days of Our Lives, when Carrie punched Sammy at the wedding. Uh, that scene specifically was the culmination of so many years of storylines that had been building up between those two sisters. And to see it happen is still one of my all-time favorite, favorite scenes. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I know I've mentioned it before, and I didn't really want to necessarily put stuff on my list that I didn't mention before. But I, uh, that Carrie punching Sammy and it being so out of character is so iconic for Days fans. Everybody who watched at that time remembers that vividly. And to me, it's number one. Now, as I understand it, we have a whole bunch of honorable mentions. So – we're going to have to go through these quickly. Reagan. since you have the longest list, let's start off with your 500 honorable mentions.
3: Oh, I won't read them all. I won't read them all at all. But um, there are a few because I don't want to say that I'm all GH. I did have a couple of days that I put on there. Marlena being possessed was one that you'll never forget whether you liked it yeah. or not, which is a little ridiculous. But you won't forget it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and from, also from days, Kristen, John, and what, when I, Eileen Davidson was in the dual role as like the wacko. And they had baby Elvis.
0: Oh, yeah. That was. You <laughs> won't was forget that. now 35
1: years old. Exactly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Never forget that. Um, and then Jennifer and Jack when they were trapped in the tunnels.
0: So. <laughs> Reagan is so my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Tina, honorable mentions.
3: Oh, wait. Can I do a couple GH honorable mentions?
0: <sighs> Just okay. two. Okay. Just two.
3: Because it goes with my liaison love, which is Elizabeth's kidnapping. I loved that when Jason was searching frantically for her and he even went to Taggart for help and Edward for help and then, um, Brenda's breakdown and that's it. I'm done.
0: Okay. Tina.
2: <laughs> well, I, I didn't really do too, too many of honorable mentions simply because when I made my whole list out, the ones I didn't use, I threw the piece of paper away because <laughs> I did this at <laughs> <Park> earlier today. <laughs> and I probably had another 15 of them on the list that I just tossed. Uh, but, I mean, you know, when Luke and Laura were on the run, and they had the wall of Jericho, as it's called, the 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 blanket hanging in the middle of the room. So, how long
0: did that take to
1: <laughs> tumbling down? Is the question? A year. It was like Just, a year. Didn't they wait a year to have sex?
2: Well, I mean, after sex. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. The the rape with the horrible disco music. Oh God. And them dancing at Wyndham's. I mean, those to me are some of my favorite Luke and Laura moments. Um, then there were, they did this storyline back in the um, the 80s with the Aztec princess when Felicia first came on the scene and they yeah. thought she, she was a boy and she was really a girl.
3: And she was snooping through Frisco's apartment and he caught her.
2: Yeah. Um when Anna and Robert finally started getting together and one Valentine's Day she tied him she, he, he kind of made this comment that she was a little on the frumpy side. Well, she got all dressed up to the nines in this gorgeous red dress and they went to Robin's recital. I still remember that freaking hot pink an orange dance thing that the poor girl had <laughs> on the stage. And then Robert and Anna went back to Robert's penthouse and she started teasing him and she ended up basically stripping him and tying him to a pole in his penthouse and left him there. Hmm. Basically, you know, I think he was to his boxer shorts tied to a pole and then sent Frisco in to untie him. <laughs> the next day oh. um and, and one life to live uh, i remember when Nikki smith first emerged you know when we first found out that vicky had a a, a dual personality uh those those scenes were great and, and it's really sad now that they've gone back and rewritten so much of that history
1: okay but- jamie who do you have Oh, I've got a couple, and I will be quick. Um, I'll start. I'll just do it show, uh, show by show, or whatever. Well, well, I All love Santa children.
2: Barbara for you.
1: I don't have any from Santa Barbara. It's so funny. I think what it is I, we talked. I thought about you were going to talk
2: about the one we we mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, I'll I will mention that one, but it's okay. like Santa Barbara was so much about character that I don't. I couldn't really think of a lot of uh, plots. I mean, but anyway, um, I loved. This was one of my first All My Children storylines that hooked me will cortland's murder, uh, you guys know this the story uh, Kelly Ripa Haley was married to palmer's nephew will Dixie's brother. Uh, the guy was a jackass, pissed off half the town when he died Haley of course was the suspect because he had beat Haley up, but uh, Janet from another planet was the killer because she wanted to help her. Her beloved Trevor, who <laughs> had problems with Will, so she killed the man, you know. Good old a Janet. Good
2: She's pork chop. A pork chop,
1: you know. God, I miss I miss Haley. But um that's one of them. Another from all my children is Kendall Hart when she took over Wild Wind. Sarah Michelle Geller was the quintessential young adult bitch on that show and She married Dimitri's son, Anton, and lied to him and faked paperwork that he was the true Andrasi heir, not Dimitri, and she booted everybody out of Wild Wind. Um, So that's two from all my children. Um, I also got, of course, my days. uh, I won't mention the ones that Reagan already mentioned for me, but Marlena's return from the dead the first time when (laughs) she learned, well, you know. It was the mo- and it was so hilarious because she emerged from a coma with beautiful flowing blonde fair hair and what looked to be a boob job and you're like everybody you know this was pre message boards but you know people were like damn Marlena looks better after a coma than she did when she went in and you know she comes to Salem and she does the whole lurk around thing and she see she sees that John has moved on or John she thought he was Roman then. Isabella, but then when they met on that damn pier, I think Marlena had decided she was going to leave the show, leave the show, leave Salem, but Roman, at the time, Drake Hogeston looks over and he goes, Doc? And, you know, oh my god. And and what I love about it now is that Drake and Deidre went on soap talk and talked about it because that scene is so iconic for Days fans. He grabs her hair and runs his fingers through her hair And she's like, look, she leans into him and she's crying like only Deidre Hall could cry back then. And come to find out you know this hair is just everywhere it's all and it's part of the beauty of the scene Deidre Hall revealed on Soap Talk that she had a hair extension in and Drake was pulling her hair extension out you know she was trying (laughs) to sit there with her neck clenched so that this hair wouldn't fall out that's why she leans all into him and it's just finding that out made it even that much funnier or great but um you know there's that one um G.H., my God, so many from G.H. Uh, Sonny bringing Jax's first wife to his wedding to Brenda.
2: Miranda. Miranda. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: Sonny leaving
0: Brenda at the, the altar uh... oh, with the Quartermains.
1: So the oh, the quarter had finally stubbornly allowed their, you know, because Brenda was like a Quartermain. She was an honorary Quartermain, and they didn't want her to marry him, but they all grudgingly showed up for this wedding Brenda's like he's going to come, you know. Everybody's like, I don't know. He's pretty late, Brenda. You know, <laughs> and Sonny left her in the rain. He always leaves her in the rain, you know. <laughs> and she went off on Jason, she beat him up, she called him a brain dead loser. Oh, God, I love that is uh untapped potential there. Vanessa Marcel and Steve Burton. But my my last one is also Brenda, you know. This time at the same church when Vanessa Marcel came back and 800,000 fans with her. When she uh, walked through, you know, uh, through the doors in the rain. And in Sunny the rain. Sonny looks up and sees the love of his life and then gets shot. Gets
3: shot. Yep.
1: Ah, gotta love it.
2: Oh, So great.
1: G.H. makes you really, like, mix violence with romance, I think.
2: Well, but, you know, it's funny... Uh, Jamie, as you were as you were listing these all out, I I actually remembered another moment from All My Children uh, when Jenny got killed by the jet ski.
1: Oh, well, they can undo that. Jesse's back. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: But it was like it was just like another moment that just popped into my head, and um, it, and you know it was and, funny because uh, yes,
1: like we mentioned, I forgot that one because we have to mention it because it's been spoofed on like. South Park and other like these Family Guy, yep. I think the Spoop, Santa Barbara when Mason's first love Mary is on the roof of the Capwell Hotel and the Big C, C. that stood for Capwell fell on her and killed, and killed her. her. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was
2: like a perfect, perfect moment. That's back
1: when daytime could still shock you. That's right up there. That. When Nina Chancellor on Young and the Restless, her, the, her grifter husband that um, basically Jill had hired to steal her money back, to steal the Chancellor fortune that she inherited from Philip back, and then they, and then you know the guy became a psycho. He ended up being grounded up in a trash compactor, <laughs> and I just thought that was brilliant too. But yeah, that girl, that what a way to die. I mean, what a brutal death. Uh, yeah but sh- if anybody app-
2: deserved it,
1: oh yeah, and I can remember when they were popular, and I thank you God for Nancy Lee Grand because <laughs> Mason and Julia were ten times better than Mason and Mary.
0: On that note, um, instead of ending on death, I will once again—I would once again like to give a shout out to Mike, who's celebrating his 105th birthday. All <laughs> the best to him. May he enjoy the alcohol he's imbibing. Tina, Reagan, Jamie, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks.
1: Thank I'm, you. I'm
0: glad we were able to do Bye. this. Until next time, folks. We thank you for listening. So long. Bye. Bye.
2: Yeah.